0: It's the show Agent Orange slash Adolph Twitler would love to shut down. So
1: here's the story, folks. I am the least black person that you've ever seen in your entire life. In fact, we did very well relative to racist people. It's the No Bullshit Zone. It's called Fake News. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show. I know who you are. Just wait. On the Pacifica
0: Radio Network.
1: That's the Shaggy Jenkins Show, all the way from the city of Bukalani. Aloha and welcome to it. And time for our week in review, where we go through some of the biggest headlines of the week. Man, do we have a lot to go through. Before all that, brief introductions. My name's Shaggy Jenkins. Find me at my website, shaggyjenkins.com. Follow me on Stitcher, Patreon there's a bunch of things and we'll talk about those later in the show right now the guy that is always in the middle of the big stories and just raring to go with this week ladies and gentlemen please welcome the information base chris base
2: you have overcome for I am here shaggy how you doing my friend uh
1: so far so good this week it has been kind of um let's just call
2: it a roller coaster yeah, you gotta strap on, boys and girls. Keep your hands inside the ride. It's gonna be a bumpy one.
1: Yeah, let's go ahead and start off with something that was just really super depressing. Um, I know that uh, we are. What is it? We are on the uh, the upside down. That's that's the, the the reference from Stranger Things. And and when we talk about like the movie Get Out, what was that one?
2: Uh, you know what? I didn't see Get Out. You didn't see Get Out? Man, my wife no, is so mad.
1: She saw it, and she was like, you gotta watch yeah. it, you gotta watch it. So I did the husband thing, and I lied and told her
2: I saw it. Now, why are you going to do a silly thing like that for her? I'm trying to stay but married, keep, man. And keep peace. Okay, I understand. I've been there, done that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but uh, yeah. look, when we talk about being in like the Twilight Zone, the, the Upside Down, the Inside Out, this is the week where... We have a sitting United States president now openly mocking a woman who is alleging one of his good old boy club of some sexual assault. Exactly how far past the line have we
2: stepped? Uh, As far as a nation of him representation of, I guess, us is concerned, the line has already been pushed. Uh, even before he got into office, he was a candidate. Term, remember, he was stomping uh, during that time. He made fun of uh, New York Times journalist Serge Kowalewski, who suffers from a joint condition that affects his movement. And he made fun of him, and he has no problem making fun of people and mocking people, because that's what he does. He is he is a child. And once again, this is the man that's in office of the presidency. And I gotta keep telling people this, this is not Okay. Now, let's get something straight. When you see him stomping, like all uh, uh, politicians, they select the people behind them. Those people are picked to cheer and to jeer and things of that nature. But when you're cheering and jeering, mocking a woman who on that Friday you said was a credible witness, and then you turn around and mock her, where do you stand at? He stands from the gutless, soulless person that he is.
1: Yeah, it actually is kind of a real gut check for the rest of America as we sit here and watch our country kind of go further and further away from that famous mantra, and justice for all.
2: And justice for some, not for all. I mean, going back to him, look at what happened at the United Nations. He could, once again, I got to find the guy, God bless him, on the correspondent of CNN who said, you can't spend this. That should be like everybody's mantra being anti-Trump. You can't spin this. So we had at the United Nations, and everybody laughed at him. He turns around and said, no, 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 they were laughing with me. We were having fun. No, 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 no. They were laughing at you and at the nation of the United States of America.
1: Yeah, and one of the things that's kind of bad is that whole other cliche that comes up, laughing while the world burns around us. Um, (laughs) Yeah. We do seem to be kind of having a case of, when it comes to the people that were shown behind Donald Trump, laughing at someone's personal pain. And that's a new low for a president, isn't it?
2: It, It's beyond that. And it's because he has shown that it's okay to be a bully. And it's okay to laugh at people's... uh, I would say pretty much anything opposite him. Uh, If you're a person who has a physical ailment... He's going to make fun of you. If you're a person that unfortunately has been sexually abused or at this situation allegedly by Dr. Blassey Ford, once again going from Friday to say that she was a classy, you know, credible witness up until now, now it's okay to make fun of her. We, we don't know where this man stands. I'll tell you where he stands at. He stands by himself, and everybody else has to suffer for it because he cannot have the decent compassion to understand what somebody is going through.
1: Yeah, and— When we talk about compassion here, this is the thing. The GOP lately has been kind of mirroring Donald Trump's reactions to uh, the headlines more so than they were at the beginning. Remember at the beginning, we always had Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan coming out and saying, "Uh, yeah, that's the president. That's not us. And then as time went on, now it's just kind of like, yeah, 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 we're all in this together. Now, with them all being in together, I mean— has the GOP moved past a party that can attract a female vote come the midterms?
2: It's not out of the realm of possibility because you do have women out there who are for the party and will align themselves with that. That's not, that's not that far off. And I, and I totally agree with you, Shaggy, when it comes to the um, huddle up alignment of various people Ah, uh, from the right. Uh, for example, look at Senator Lindsey Graham. Now, before that, he pretty much him and um, Senator uh, John McCain were pretty much lock in step. Unfortunately, you know, John McCain passed away, so he's out there trying to find a friend. So, what does he do? He's out there performing in the commission, you know, in the you uh, know the room there, you know, uh, back on Capitol Hill, mm-hmm. trying to find an alignment with Trump, because now he's out there by himself. Because remember, I told you before, Lindsey Graham. Has to be for my money. Before all this happened, the most back and forth, wishy-washy senator I ever heard. There were days where he agreed with Trump. There were days he didn't. You know, days he didn't agree with Trump. He was all back and forth. Anybody's trial defense and his behind should be hurting with splinters. It should be Senator Graham. ground.
1: Yeah, because let's not forget, after his whirlwind phenomenon speech this week, he actually doubled down on that and said, of all things, that if Kavanaugh is not off of this nomination process by these whole weird allegations from this Mr. Ford that Trump should go ahead and renominate him and get this. Lindsey Graham says if they can't get Kavanaugh, he'll make sure that they hold that Senate, they hold that Supreme Court seat open as long as they can, all the way up to and including the end of Trump's term. This guy is really trying to make friends, isn't he?
2: Yes, he is, because he's a, he's a man unto himself. He's by his lonesome. He's trying to align himself and probably look for maybe a bigger political job that he has, maybe a cabinet post yeah, within the Trump administration. You never know. I just thought it was kind of strange for him to have that grandiose performance and go, and go over the top. It was almost Trumpian in his you know way of taking office, just like Kavanaugh did. Just remind you of Trump when he's upset, when he's fiery, when he's pretty much pissed off at the world and everybody should pay because of, you know, the king has fallen in his mind.
1: Oh, man. And when we talk about fallen, we mean fallen hard because now this is where we're at. The president of the United States is having political rallies and basically smearing an alleged victim of sexual assault, just because it's not going his way. I mean, as far as politicizing things, do you think this is what Mrs. Ford meant when she said, I am terrified?
2: Absolutely. I mean, when she said, you know, I'm terrified and pretty much she feared for her life, um, that is a truism. Again, stepping out of obscurity to come into of all places, of course, the government to put your whole life on the line. Again, death threats she received. She had to move, and not only affect her but her family and mostly, sometimes her friends. So, all this comes upon her, but she had the strength to come forward with these sexual allegations and relive these events. Not even going to be spot on. She can't remember everything. These were years ago; when they were you know teenagers. Mm-hmm. But she did make it perfectly clear that. It was Brett Kavanaugh, 100%.
1: Now, that's the thing, too, because when Trump went through his open mocking of her, he, he, he kind of made fun of the fact that she can't remember anything. But this is kind of funny. Donald Trump has famously this, this whole way of saying, I have the world's best memory, and then displaying that he indeed does not have the world's best
2: memory. No, he doesn't. And, you know, it, it's funny he mentioned a line about she can't remember, I can remember. That was the same line he used going back to New York Times uh, journalist Serge Kowalewski. When he was shaking his hands all about it, was all about, I can't remember. So he used the exact same line when he's mocking the journalist and now Dr. Blasey Ford.
1: Yeah, it's, I don't know how to say this, but <clears throat> have we run out of uh, tricks here with this pony?
2: No. You're going to see lots more. Mm. You know, as, as my dad should say, you know, same crap, different flies.
1: Well, look, the thing is, too, is like we, we've got to bring up this because, you know, as long as we're talking about Kavanaugh and Donald Trump going after Ford and trying to discredit her, they're both guilty of aligning themselves with the faction against the American intelligence community. And, and this is the weird world that we're in. The United States is in a position where our intelligence community, the FBI, has now been asked to investigate a Supreme Court nominee, Brett Kavanaugh, who openly does not like them, and has said so, by a president, Donald J. Trump, who has done nothing but besmirch and denigrate their name for months— So when we talk about where all this is leading, we got to talk a little bit about the FBI's whole role in this, don't we?
2: Of course. uh, The FBI independently would gather information, gather intel, to show, pretty much know what the real deal is. And again, uh, the articles and uh, news programs I've seen, it goes back to what we talked about before. Dr. Blasey Ford has said, I want to cooperate 100% with an independent investigation. Let's let's break that down, for example. When you have the government and the FBI in the situation investigate your life, they're going to unearth probably stuff you've forgotten about. As they say, was, you're putting yourself on the front street. and But she's putting herself all on the line to have this ring true. And that takes a lot of guts and strength And I I, I do agree with somebody calling her a patriot.
1: Yeah.
2: I I do agree with that definition. And now here comes, you know, uh, Brett Kavanaugh behind her, you know, in the sessions there at Capitol Hill. He's outraged. He's upset. You know, he can't take it anymore. But, you know, disperse, disperse his name and resurge his name and, you know, his wife and daughter pray for Dr. Ford in spite of all this. Okay. All right, then. You feel so strongly about it. Agree to the FBI investigation. Agree to it.
1: Yeah. It does kind of seem like, look, if you want peace of mind for all the parties involved, yourself included, just allow yourself to have the investigation happen. You know, it's like yesterday yesterday we had Mean Girls Girls Day, and it was kind of one of those cases where Kavanaugh was trying to make entitlement happen. White people, stop trying to make entitlement happen. (sighs) But they do. And this is one of the things. When we talk about the FBI now coming into this story, they're starting in their investigation already to be veering off the path that the Republicans and specifically the White House wanted them on,
2: aren't they? Well, what they want to do is try to offset what could be another explosive information down the pike. When you're deferring to saying, you know what? No, no, no. We don't want the FBI. He should be, you know, the nomination immediately. That's why they try to do it so damn quickly. As far as I'm concerned, what's the reason to, to rush all this? What's the reason for rushing this particular nominee? Because of this situation. They knew that maybe something come down the pike about his past that would get in the way of him being nominated. So what do you do? You have to create the narrative to say, you know what? We don't need an independent investigation. You know, you know these things happen to, you know, him when he was a teenager and things of that nature. Let's go on just, you know, forgive him and go through. No, 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 no. That's not how it's done. For someone to achieve the highest position in the land, to be Supreme Court justice, and to govern the lives of another generation, your life has to be judged.
1: Yeah, and it seems like he finds himself above judgment, Kavanaugh does. And the FBI, when they've started looking into this, already— They're kind of making waves because uh, earlier this week when uh, CNN, MSNBC and all the other news stations were trying to report on the limitations or non-limitations thereof of the FBI investigation, Christopher Wray basically, he's the current FBI director, came forward and said, we're not going to be the president's patsy. This is in our court now. We're going to handle it how we handle it. That's kind of a brazen statement for an organization that has been, let's just say, hundreds of hundreds of hundreds of um, insulting tweets from the president's uh, receiving, right?
2: This was pushback. It was pushback. And you know what, Mr. President, we did not agree with you coming after us and saying that our intel was wrong, even going back to what Dad Coates, a director of information, was telling him about. Uh, the Russian investigation and things of that nature, we're going to find a way to let you know that we don't necessarily, you're not going to bully us around. And now I think that was a strong statement by uh, Christopher A. Ray.
1: Yeah, because when it comes to Ray, he's kind of been, how do I say this, fly low, beat the radar kind of guy. And now mm-hmm. with this spotlight going on the FBI, because let's just face it, most of the time when the FBI gets an investigation, nobody cares this is the one time the investigation that's going to the fbi matters so much everybody cares so they have two choices in this situation don't they go down the path that basically proves they're political or show that they're above bias and objectionable and pursue the investigation to its furthest extent
2: Well, like I say, I always refer to movie references sometimes. If you go back and check out the movie New Jack City, when Nino Brown, played by um, Wesley Snipes, is in the courtroom and he stands up. Look, this is bigger than Nino Brown. If I'm going down, everybody's going down. So if the FBI is going to do investigations, which they're doing, they're going to unearth some situations for him, her and him and her over there in the corner. She's so going to do all these type of things, and everybody will be involved. It, it, it's, not, it's going to take more than a week. Because some people say, it, you know, I think um, Senator uh, Jeff Flake had mentioned about it being a week. No, it's going to take more than a week to investigate. So that's just a, kind of like a short answer. It's going to take more than a week for the FBI to do a full-on investigation about this.
1: Now, this is the thing, too, is because Mitch McConnell is trying as hard as possible to get this to a vote by Friday. No matter yeah. what, hell or high water or more, multiple, multiple sexual allegations and people saying, hey, I remember the time that Kevin all spiked a drink. All of these stories coming out this week. Look... Mm-hmm this is going to take more than a week, but McConnell is trying to push everybody into a vote by Friday. Chris, can Republicans do it?
2: I would probably say, yeah, because they hold the most power at this point. It's pretty much, and I hate to, you know, put on my Svengali uh, hat, but I think it's pretty much a done deal about him. It would take something very, very major in order for him to be removed. They pretty much got him lock, stock, and barrel that they want him to be the guy to take that you know seat right there in the uh, Supreme Court. And let's not look over the fact that this is also about Roe versus Wade. Uh, Kavanaugh does not believe that a woman should do what she wants with her body. He feels the government should step in and say so. Uh, that's not cool with me. That's not cool with most people. And he'll be on that position for probably the next 20, 25 years when this happens. And not only that, combined with that, it's the fact that he's in position to be there if and when Donald Trump is removed from office to give him a pardon.
1: Yeah. And that's exactly what everybody seems to be banking for is, hey, Daddy Don's going to take care of us. Uh, We kind of compared this week uh, um, uh, some other correspondents, Friday Love and Sir Cat, we kind of compared all of this to like a gambino type family but a really low rent one because not only do you have you know the public hearings and the entitled people in black suits yelling at others to give them their rights but on the other side of this oh and by the way we also have shady deals with law enforcement agencies that we've publicly besmirched but now need to back us up in the fbi story and this mafia picture of the white house wouldn't be complete this week without another story of Trump and taxes and where his money came from.
2: The New York Times did a one-year special investigation about the taxes that were put into dummy corporations via his father, Fred C. Trump, and that provided monies for Trump and his siblings. Uh, The estimated uh, today's dollar said in the article, $413 million. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At this stage of the game.
1: Now, this is the thing, too, because remember how Trump ran on that whole campaign of I got a small $1 million loan from my Mm -hmm. dad, and Mm -hmm. that's all it took for me to be up and running. But it turns out that Trump, and now here's the funny thing his sister are all in the news because of these sham corporations that got exposed in the New York Times investigation. So, Chris, i got to ask you kind of a, a, a strange question here. Is the Don
2: a Don for real? I think he's a wannabe Don. I think that over the years when you're in a certain circle of people and you're the boss and everybody else are employees and flunkies, again, that's a bubble that you have created or were put into, say, by your father. And people are going to kowtow to you. They're going to kiss you behind 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And you never hear the word no. If you do, that person's going to have a problem well, with them. And I think all this is a fake, think about fake news, uh, a, a fake persona. Because we all know that compared to like a real mafioso Don, a real gangster person. As I said before, uh the wannabe gangster, we, call, we always call them wanksters.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, Don Trump is a wangster, wannabe gangster. He tries to come off as this Teflon person, but really he's not. And to some degree, he probably probably dodged a few, you know, situations here and there where it got kind of hot and heavy and was able to get out, you know, on the cool side. But him being who he is, and the people surrounding him again are feeding into his ego. So if you're a yes person, you gotta check him again for every two weeks. We're gonna say no. That's that's your bread and butter. That's your you know your gravy train. Yeah. So you feed him anything he wants to hear. And and this
1: is the thing, when it talk when you talk about feeding people what they want to hear, Donald Trump has fed his base a line of a simple man who come up by his bootstraps in America and is now a multimillionaire. When you find out the truth of the matter, he'd done everything from lying to the IRS about values of his father's real estate property, acquisitions that they had made outside of New York City in real estate and other holdings, undervalued all of that stuff for years and years and years, and paid basically a pittance, uh, I think like $50 million on what should have been a half a billion-dollar tax bill that otherwise his family would have accrued over this time. So, remember how Donald Trump said, I'm really, really smart? I hate to say it, he's really smart at screwing people out of money, isn't he?
2: Oh, I go along with that 100%. The New York Times documents 295 streams of revenue created by his father, Fred Trump, over five decades to enrich the pocket of his son, Donald. Now, if this story is true, was going to a year-long investigation by the New York Times, why Trump never wants to disclose his tax information. Yeah, because it's basically... Not all makes sense.
1: It does. And here's the thing, too. This whole investigation, if you ever wanted to know just how powerful the uh, age of information is, the Times investigation started off and actually got a big help from... One of their guys sitting down about a year ago and opening up a simple Google search of public records into Trump's financial business. Believe it or not, there's so much stuff listed there. If you know what you're reading, you can find out a lot. And down the rabbit hole they went. So, Chris, here's the thing. I got to ask you, when it comes to the Trump narrative, are people still going to buy this whole humble, honest, working man persona that he's trying to pitch
2: Yes, the Trump faithful will do it. Everybody outside that will give him the side eye and probably didn't believe it from the beginning. But the inner circle of people, like I said before, the people that he plays the most to, with when he plays to the most comfortable audience, that's like he did the rallying uh, Tuesday with the Mississippi uh, stomping grounds. When he plays to that type of audience, he is unquote in his element. And they'll believe anything he says. They'll go for it. Once again, we saw the unfortunate mocking of Dr. Blasey Ford. And we had this conversation uh, before earlier, Shaggy, another stomping ground situation. Again, he's telling his people, again, if you have to be boys and girls, if I get impeached, it's it's whose fault? It's your Your fault. fault. And they're they're going along with it. I mean, hooray, you know, the the king is still alive. So no matter what he says or does, they're going to buy into the narrative. They're going to drink the Kool-Aid.
1: Oh, God. And and this is the sad part about that Kool-Aid, because um, it does seem that when we talk about Donald Trump and all of the misgivings that he's put out there versus all of the evidence that we have to the contrary, is there one story out of all the ones that we've covered so far that has even a slight remote chance of besmirching his reputation?
2: I personally don't see it.
1: Jesus, man. I hate to say I it. I don't see it. Yeah, you're probably right. And, I mean, you know, I could go ahead and jump off onto a tangent about Donald Trump Jr. this week and about how both him and his dad are crying over the fate of boys everywhere because apparently, Chris, I didn't get this memo, the world's not safe for white boys anymore.
2: Yeah, I caught that. Yeah, I saw that. You know what? That must be swell. That must so be So all of a fun. sudden, that must be fantastic. It must be great.
1: Yeah, well, for everybody else that's already been in danger for years, stay tuned. We've got a lot more stories coming up, including some weird ones about things that you try to pick up at Walmart, but shouldn't. This is Shaggy Jenkins Show.
0: This is Scientific American's 60-Second Science. I'm Steve Mursky. The main practical application of CPA so far has been in the
2: eye surgery. It was the first one, and I think it is the one that is used by the most people for something practical.
0: Donna Strickland on the phone this morning with Joran Hansen of the Nobel Assembly at the Karolinska Institute after learning that she had shared the Nobel Prize in physics. CPA is chirped. Pulse amplification, a technique for producing incredibly short pulses of laser light of very high intensity. A few minutes before talking with Strickland, Hansen made the announcement.
3: This year's prize is about tools made from light. The Royal Swedish Academy of Sciences has today decided to award the 2018 Nobel Prize in Physics with one half to Arthur Ashkin for the optical tweezers and their application to biological systems. And the other half, jointly to Gerard Moreau and Donna Strickland for their method of generating high-intensity, ultra-short optical pulses. Uh, Arthur Ashkin was born in 1922 in New York City. He made his remarkable invention at the Bell Laboratories in New Jersey in the United States. Gerard Mourou was born in 1944, in Albertville, in France, and he is currently at the Ecole Polytechnique in Palaiseau, in France, and also affiliated with the University of Michigan in the United States. Donna Strickland was born in 1959, in Gulf, Ontario, Canada, and she's currently at the University of Waterloo, in Canada. Drs. Moreau and Strickland did much of their groundbreaking work together at the University of Rochester in the United States.
0: Physicist Olga Botner, Chair of the Nobel Committee for Physics, added,
3: Today we celebrate two inventions within the field of laser physics that have opened new scientific vistas, but what's more, have already led to applications of direct benefit to society. Optical tweezers, allowing control of tiny living organisms, and an amplification technique enabling construction of high-intensity compact laser systems.
0: For an in-depth listen about the 2018 Nobel Prize in Physics, look for the Scientific American Science Talk podcast later today. For Scientific American's 60-Second Science, I'm Steve Mirsky. Dig deeper. Remove the hype. Find the facts. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network.
1: It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show all the way from Fukalani, Hawaii. Aloha. And welcome back. If you missed any part of the first part of the show or any of our shows, period, well, subscribe to us. Not only are we on Stitcher, but you can find us on iTunes as well. Just look for the Shaggy Jenkins Show. And wherever find social media, sir, follow at Shaggy Live. That should be me uh, joining me all the way from the mid-mid-midwest. Windy City, as it was. Um, he's from Chicago. He has an amazing voice and a hell of a lot of information. Please give it up for Home Base himself, ladies and gentlemen, Chris Base. Man, okay. Look, I, I just got to say that this week has been a tumultuous political week in news, and as, as it
2: has, it, you're right. Yeah, I can I
1: just be like, I, I just want to have a little confession moment here. I uh, am starting to experience news fatigue.
2: Every day is join, the same story. Join, join the club, my brother, man. You know, I've been doing this now for a minute. I've been doing now for a while covering news stories and doing talk radio. And I've never been this exhausted. I mean, drained, because it gets it's it gets more stupid every time I do these stories with him. I know, or I, just in general.
1: My God, I feel like I'm trying to keep up with Lance Armstrong on a lying marathon.
2: <laughs>
1: it's just exhausting.
2: Um, that was terrible. Wasn't it? Yeah, Stay strong.
1: Yeah. Oh, God. Well, speaking of staying strong, can we take a moment and, and break ourselves from the adults of this country and, and talk about the kids real quick?
2: Well, sure. There's a story out of Oklahoma where a school principal is facing child abuse charges for taking a wooden paddle and spanking two elementary school students, leaving the boys bruised. The uh, school principal, Gary Gunnall who was 50 years old, was charged Friday with felony child abuse after the disciplinary incident occurred at the school. Now, for the record, paddling is legal in Oklahoma schools. It's legally permitted. Now, again, with corporal punishment, it's it's a two-way street because you do have children out there who are knuckleheads, who disrupt the flow of the class, Uh, they make other students not want to pay attention and the teacher has to find some way to get them back in line. Now, my own personal experiences, I was never beat with a paddle, but I was scared to death at six years old. During this time when I was the first grader, uh, my first grade teacher, Miss Bailey, uh, God lover had two paddles, big daddy and big mama. Mm -hmm. And obviously big daddy being the bigger one. The only one that got beaten was a guy named Anthony. Because Andy was a knucklehead, he talked back, he, hell, he he came to school drunk one day. Yikes. So, when you're when you're drinking J&B scotch at six years old, uh, you know, you're knocking back a few. I mean, that's, because, you know, you go off campus for lunch, he'll go off and get that liquid lunch, you know, from his house, and then come back and be drunk as a skunk. So, he wow. got the paddle, and that was a deterrent for the rest of us. I mean, we're not going to get in the line of that. But she would pull his pants – you can't get away with it nowadays. It's like in the early 70s. Pull his pants down, put them on a construction table, and then take the paddle, the Big Daddy paddle, and beat his ass into the construction table like she was nailing a nail. Man, so she went Dexter on him. Big time. Big time, man. I, you
1: know, and this is the thing. I remember from my early days in school, and I hate to say how bad I was because I have an <clears throat> adult reputation, but let's just go ahead and be honest. If the FBI investigates me, I'll never even be able to run an ice cream stand. But <laughs> naughty kid that I was, I had several run-ins with corporal punishment. And one of the things is is that I hate to say it, It made me, and this is one of the things that's coming up with psychology reports on how corporal punishment actually works, no matter the severity of it, it's more likely to create rebellion than compliance in children. And that's exactly what it did for me. Mm -hmm. So can you imagine this kid who's now gotten paddled all the way till bruising, that chip on their shoulder is going to resemble Mount Rushmore.
2: Well, big time. You know, now, also in the record, uh, now the boy, the mother did say to the principal, if my son acts up, you can't paddle him. Now, she did get permission for that, okay. but it just became too excessive. So when she saw the welts on his behind and the bruising was there, it's the reason why, you know, he is um, being charged, you know, for what he's being charged for. But it's a two way street because, again, um, now the The age of the children are 10 and 11, according to the publication. And when you give someone the permission to, you know, to give your child a spanking, the person who's doing the spanking has to realize that you can't go overboard with that. Mm -mm. No, you have limits. But that's just
1: it. In our society, what kind of a limit should we put on discipline people away from their parents? Corporal punishment is one of those things that I, I hate to say it, but... Man, it sounds as old as I am. <laughs>
2: yeah. and, and, I, and I'm a little bit older than you are, so there you go. It's, um, I, I think, once again, obviously per state and per school districts, obviously, you know it's a judgment call. Do you enforce that or do you try something different? Or do you uh, – some over the years they created what the quote-unquote timeout system, which I think never worked as far as the people that I know. And the children I know at the time, you know, but everybody has their way of discipline. So whatever works, if you feel conducive to that school environment, then you go with it. But as you know, the problem with that is you just have people get caught up in the moment. Moment, they're on the fever pitch. Uh, Say, for example, the boys had talked back to the principal, and he's already upset. So not only is he beating them for disciplinary purposes, he's also Taking out his anger, frustration at him being disrespected.
1: You know, the thing is, too, is when we talk about that anger and stuff, it seems like in our society, only certain people are allowed anger. And in this case, when we talk about teachers versus students, you know, can I just honestly say that some students have a different home life than other students and they come to school with a lot of anger already put on them by the situations that they're in. Shouldn't schools endeavor to be places of positive reinforcement, knowing what the world is out there for some kids? Because when it comes to this story, I mean, if I was... I'm I'm not even talking about the kid that's got the bruises and the whelps on his behind. If I'm the kid beside the kid that got his ass beat, I'm going to be thinking very, very carefully about my safety and security, more so than my studies.
2: Well, correct. I mean, you know, you don't want it to become excessive and over the top. Case in point, we're seeing now about certain schools wanting to have teachers being armed with guns. And that's going way over the top. Because again, you're not only are you, you know, helping the NRA as far as I'm concerned, but you're giving teachers A power and control they shouldn't have in the first place. You're going to train them up to learn how to discharge a weapon, and these. Once again, I know these are bad kids and some of them are there, but they're still children. Don't deserve to be shot or to that type of extreme. And I know certain children grow up where you know their hormones kick in, their DNA kicks in, and become a bigger than their parents and the teachers, administrators. I understand that, but they're still children. So there's a way to do it, but. When you go to the extreme of, again, having, say, guns, you know, at the schools, you know, we don't want to open that can of worms because, again, you'll see not everybody deserves to wear a firearm. You said, for example, about children coming from a place of being upset at their home or something like that, and then coming to school with it. What about the teachers? Who said their home life is pretty, you know, pretty well off? It's probably not. And then they're strapped. And then they're armed in that situation and have an itchy trigger finger. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to happen. I'm, I'm not trying to wish anything bad, but nothing good could come out of that situation when it's, when it's that extreme.
1: And the thing is, is, too, is like I know the kind of mouth my kid has. Uh, so I'm like, oh, she would definitely get the gun pulled on her one day. So there's, oh, no. a little, you know, there's a little bit of, of, of worry and concern as a parent when you think about these stories out of school systems where, you know, you don't really know what you're giving them permission for. And in the case of this right. corporal punishment thing, this, this parent, this woman had no idea that she was basically opening up trauma for her kid unconditionally.
2: And also the fact, Shaggy, is that the teachers and principals, administrators are not babysitters. They're not. They go there for education. That's it. And teachers and people have gone uh, above, beyond the call of duty. They become more, and maybe sometimes a surrogate parent. We never know on a case by case basis. But first and foremost, they are there to teach. Your children they are not there, babysitters, and they're there what seven, eight hours, mm-hmm. depending on you know the situation. They're going to school, that's a lot of hours, that's somebody's job hours, eight hours. So, you got to figure the time spent must be time learned, and hopefully, that's why being a teacher is a thankless job.
1: Yeah, but the thing is, is when you're a student, it's kind of like. <sighs> It's a little disempowering when you hear that (laughs) that parents are still out there going, Yeah, you know what? Beat my kid. I ain't got time to do it myself. You might as well just take care of that ass whip and fool me. And and, you know, and, and as a guy that has survived a school system with massive amounts of corporal punishment thank you north carolina yeah. education system oh, <laughs> i still walk with a limp some days um
2: <laughs> is that why i didn't know it till now.
1: yeah everybody thought that was my pimp walk no that's my limp I-
2: walk Okay, that's your get walk. I didn't know until now. Okay. Yeah,
1: yeah, you know, just cuz it's rhyme and don't mean it's fine. And, okay, but anyway. That's right. Uh the thing is is about like coming from a system that 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 had corporal punishment. When my daughter started to go to school, it's it's very understandable. The first thing I did was uh, like y'all don't y'all don't whip kids ass up in here, right? Cuz if so we go we move in districts. Daddy does right. not play.
2: <laughs> exactly. You, you know? know, you don't want that. You know, you don't want that. Uh, that transferred a power to a teacher or a principal in this situation. You know, you don't want that. But again, it's the judgment call of the parent in this situation. So it just got out of hand. But I think y- you could have had an inkling that you know your child and you know how things escalate with your boy, you know your son there. Do the exact same thing with anybody else. You know, if if you have a child that makes Jesus come off the cross, then you know the child should be exercised you know you have a demon child there. So you know it's not just you or people in your family. It'll be outside the family as well.
1: Yeah, but I'm going to ask you a question because we're both parents here. Um, when it mm-hmm. comes to your kids being little knuckleheads, how do you cope with it?
2: What I used to do with my oldest daughter, I would appear in school when she didn't know it, for one thing. I would I would, I would would go to the teacher, uh, let her know that I'm here, but I'm, I want to shadow my daughter. And a couple of times I did. And that kept her in line because you didn't know when I was going to come up there. So that was like that, that fear factor that was going on with her. You were like and Batman so, of
1: dads, weren't you?
2: Uh, I, I, look, I got to a point with her, I'm like, you know, I'm not the one to play with. I love you. You're my daughter. You're my firstborn. But don't mess with me. Now like, you mess with me, you're going to lose in that category. So I would do that. And so with my wife at the time, you know, when, when we were raising our daughters, it wasn't good cop, bad cop. It was bad cop, worse cop. And, and I was the bad cop.
1: Man, I am guilty sometimes of, and this is the thing, because when we talk about discipline, and I, I kind of want to talk about this before our other story, but when we talk about discipline, one of the things that I was kind of uh, taught by my parents was rationalizing what's to come. And that's that's kind of the system I am with my daughter is every time she's about to do something stupid, I, I, I'll do one or two approach. One is the loving, caring, comforting approach where I'm like, stop. Think about this. And then I'll walk her through everything that's about to happen after she makes that decision from my own experience. And I'm like, hey, I'm just telling you, this isn't going to work out for you. Or two... I When she's being a little rebellious, a little hard-headed, and just like, ah, I'm going to do it anyway, I, I explain to her real simply, honey, daddy's done bad, bad things. Daddy has done worse things than you could imagine doing, and he hid them smarter than you could ever hide yours. So when it comes to you thinking that you are going to get away from us any sort of way, I will find out, and you won't know. And that mm-hmm. is enough to keep her in line because it seems like, and just, you know, when it comes to kids in general, rationalizing and explaining that their fears could be realized seems a lot more present of mind than a physical ass whipping that's over in a couple minutes.
2: A great point. I mean, because in your mind it's the worst off, you know, your imagination runs wild. And for the record, in case my daughter finds out that I'm talking about her, She's an adult now, just like my youngest daughter. They're both adults. I love them both. I love my daughter tremendously, both of them are trying to be great women. But during that time when she was younger, yeah, she was a handful and then some. But I'm glad we got a chance to work it out and love it out. And I believe in tough love. I'll give you a perfect example of that. Uh, Of those of you who watch a syndicated program, Judge Show, Judge Greg Mathis. He wrote a book, I think his first book, he dedicated to his mother, I believe. And one of the stories that always stuck with me was uh, Judge Greg Matthews, before he was a judge, Greg was 13 years old. And he was a knucklehead. You know, he ran the streets, you know, did God knows what. And so his mother, uh, they knocked on this door, and it was two police officers. And they said, excuse me, ma'am, there's been robbery in the far block radius. Do you know anything about it? Hold on one second. And then she went and got Greg by the scruff of his neck here, take him. Either he did it, or he knows who did it.
1: Dang, you know, and this is the thing too, because I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of leave this story behind because I, I, we're gonna run out of time before this last one. Okay. Okay. Because sure. this one's kind of a big one, and th- you're gonna love this segue. Ready? Right. At any time, have you ever been so fed up with your kids that you like the first person that offers me some money, I'm selling this kid.
2: Ooh, that's a very good question. Uh, I never got to that point. It wasn't about money, but it was about respect. It was about, you. I don't want you to do this in the house because the streets don't love you. And you mm. come across somebody in the street that might, and I, I said this to her years ago, that want to take you out.
1: Yeah, you know, and this is the thing too, because when we talk about getting t- taken out – These can happen in places where people feel comfortable, where nothing usually bad goes down. Say, for instance, when you're going down to, I don't know, a random Walmart in Florida. Chris, Mm -hmm. what would you happen if a white gentleman, 81 years of age, walked up to you and saw you with, let's say, your four-year-old daughter and said, Uh I'll I'll give you $200,000 for that kid right now?
2: Dude, I experienced that in real life, but my family did. I, I, this is not this is not a joke. When my family and me went to the Bahamas years ago, and my sister, let's see, had to be, oh, geez, had to be maybe four or five then, uh, light skin, very nice long hair, and this lady came behind her in the pool and was feeling her hair. Whoa. So my mom and dad were just, hey, what are you doing? Don't, don't touch her like that. And the lady said, how much for the girl? Dang. I kid you not. So. So, yeah, they, they've been out there since day one, doctor.
1: I, okay. Because I, this is kind of a new concept for me. Because, you mm. know, I have never run into this on Maui, thankfully. Uh, small town right. community stranded on an island in the middle of the Pacific. It makes crimes here a little way more low key. But when it comes to this story this is the thing that's kind of disturbing. Isn't it funny that we now live in a time and society where white men think that money can buy them anything, including stuff that is reprehensible?
2: Because people accept the money. That's why. So in this situation, 81-year-old Helmut Kolb was in Walmart. Now, I didn't know you could pick up Human girls on line four, you know, aisle four. I didn't know I had no idea he could do that. So he is trying to buy a girl for 200000 dollars And apparently he's comfortable in his own skin because he's done it before. Obviously, in some way, shape, or form, or anyone suggests a so-called rent. I've heard the terminology too. The reason why I picked this story is because people like him need to be exposed because of sex trafficking. And, it, 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 and I bet you that is gonna be part of the story because what would an 81-year-old man do with a young girl? And he's paying all this money for what? There has to be some sort of diabolical reason behind it. And you go to a place where you find parents and children where at convenience stores like a Walmart. You know it, it, you know what, it's, it's just like when you have predators. So I remember doing stories over the years about predators, for example, high-end predators. Mm -hmm. They'll buy an ice cream truck, for example, and go around the block and see all these wonderful children and their nice shiny faces with their money, and they give them ice cream cones and the like, and they're scoping the territory out, block by block, and to see who they can set up to kidnap and do God knows what. So in his situation, go to a Walmart, scope out the girls, and then offer money to somebody. You know, he was too comfortable with it.
1: I, that's just it, too. It's like, what kind of a person would be able to look at a parent in the face and say, yeah, they look like they would take this offer?
2: Well, you know, I guess with him, it's a false sense of a sixth sense, a false sense. Mm. So he would he'd probably just look at these people and say, you know what? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, of all the people I've seen, that's the one. He allegedly tried to grab the girl and kiss her on the arm and then the wrist. And uh, then the mother was able to leave the store and then reported the situation. Uh, the security camera, uh, footage and credit cards were able to follow uh, Cobb there and identify him to police. Uh, what's also sick is the fact that, you know, I keep telling people when they go out, somebody's always watching you. Uh, a person that uh, he approached uh, was Tracy Nye and her eight-year-old daughter at the time. So we're sitting on the bench inside the Walmart. People are always checking you out. Be aware of your surroundings, no matter who you are and no matter where you go. There's somebody is up to no good that's watching you wanting to be a part of that no good deed.
1: You know, and I hate to be kind of like, OK, I guess we're both Batman here. But you do tend to notice that in society now, when you're in certain environments, there's always eyes on you. And, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to be one of those lame white guys that quotes Jay-Z here. The streets are watching. The thing is, is what they're watching for is weakness. And this guy clearly thought that this, this parent was in a position of weakness where $200,000 basically absolves them of any guilty feeling to what dirty, nefarious things he wanted to do to that daughter.
2: And not only that, he, his first amount was 100000 Okay, and then he went up to one hundred and fifty, and then the final amount was two hundred thousand dollars. So he starts from one hundred thousand, and then finagles his way back up to two hundred thousand dollars, the final offer, as they say. And again, was this true? Did he actually have the money, or was that something an enticing thing for the mother to say? Mm, I don't know. So, so we, don't, we don't know about that. And maybe, again, to ask this more comfortably in this situation. To have done it before, and see, I would love for them to give more story in the. Hopefully, in the day is to come. The backstory of had he done this before with other women and children.
1: Yeah, because when we're talking about Florida, well, let's go ahead and mention that Florida has a horrendous human trafficking uh, public record, don't they? Yeah, yes,
2: they, they do. Unfortunately.
1: Yeah, and when it comes to stories like this, you know. This is the thing that really bothers me about this, and I'm just going to throw this out there. It is kind of a culture of white men thinking that money allows them to get away with anything in the current environment, isn't it?
2: I would have to say yes, or anybody that has that high dollar amount, if the dollar amount is true. Because, again, they live in a certain world that they think rules don't apply to them. That they can make up the rules of society is just for other people or small people and not myself. And for him to uh, to be the predator that he is and the voyeur that he is to scope out children and mothers and uh, especially try to give them a high dollar amount, it just it, it just wanes of just evil.
1: It really does. And when we talk about evil in society, because we're going to run out of time here really quick. Chris, mm-hmm. a long time ago, Whitney Houston said the children are the future. Do you think we're still letting kids feel like they're the future of this country?
2: No, because the old people don't want to relinquish it.
1: Oh, I mean, we're letting them die in school shootings. We're letting them get picked up off the side of the roads and bought out of Walmarts now. I mean, at right. what point are you a kid in this country going, Mom, Dad, can I go to Cuba?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have failed. We have dropped the ball completely. The ball is deflated
1: gosh
2: tell me about it
1: well look man uh we got to get ready to get out of here uh real quick where can everybody find you online
2: oh thank you very much shaggy catch me facebook.com backslash chris c-h-r-i-s b in broadcasting a-s-e brown guy with glasses looking quite immaculate of, uh, by a uh, computer there, and I look pretty swell.
1: Yeah, I would rather say you're a rather dapper fellow there, Mr. Uh, Mr. Base. Um, Oh, well, thank you very much, though. I
2: appreciate
1: it. Hey, for everybody else, try to stay out of trouble over the long weekend. And remember, yeah, I know, there's a break on Monday, but we'll be back next week with more stories. Until then, though, make sure that if you get a chance, stop by the website, shaggyjenkins.com. Follow us on social media, at Shaggy Live. And please, if you get a chance, stop by our Patreon page and drop us a little bit of uh, support. We've got some cool perks for our members there. As well as some other stuff. Find all of that at Shaggy Live. Chris, have a good weekend.
2: Uh, you too, Shaggy. Take care. And
1: everybody else, stay safe. Love you, mean it. Kate and bye.